Uh, in looking at these passages, uh, I titled today's sermon is Showing God's Favor to Others, uh, part one, because next week will be part two. And really, uh, showing God's favor to others. And really, not just only showing it, but also being, becoming God's favor to others. That is, that you live a life to bless others, okay? That you live your life to bless others. I want to ask you guys this general question. In your life right now, uh, in your life right now, are you, would you, if, if God were to look at your life, if others in the church were to look at your life, or those that really know you were to look at your life, would pe- when people ask, do you live your life to bless others or to be blessed by others, what would the answer be? What would your answer be? What would your answer be? What would the genuine answer be? What would God's answer be if we were God to look at you and say, are you, do you live your life to bless others or just really to receive good things from others? By the way, I think sometimes you can tell in terms of the quality of life, okay? Uh, quality of life. I actually don't think um, materialism is necessarily the good metric of what? Uh, of true happiness, okay? I actually don't think so. Um, one of the most interesting TED Talk that I saw a few years ago was the guy that um, uh, was a host for, what was that job, that like uh, dirtiest jobs or whatever? Um, yeah, Mike Rowe. Okay. Now, I've never seen any of those shows or anything like that, but I just watched his TED Talk. And one of his TED Talk things, he was, he was actually made a profound observation that these guys, two, two things that stood out to me. was Number one, he said, most of these guys never plan on working their jobs, right? Most people never plan to be a professional, clean, you know, running a company to clean sewage, for instance, right? It isn't one of those things that little kids say, ah, I want to grow up to be able to, oh, I can't wait, right? Uh, number, second observation, or actually three observations, second observation made is sometimes people doing things that people don't want, you make a lot of money. It's one of the law of economics, right? Supply and demand, okay? If there's less, if there's a great demand to do something, but there's few, very few supply, like most people say, ew, I won't do that, then what does that, what does that mean economically? It, it, with the law of supply and demand is what? In light of the great demand for certain things, for instance, things to be clean, uh, and yet there's a few supply of people willing to do it, that means what? There's going to be where? The money with that, okay? It's just the law of economics. But the third thing he made a profound observation is generally these people are actually more happier, okay? They could be cleaning manure, they could be doing all these things, and still make jokes in light of it, and then yet go home, what? Happy, okay? So I bring this to us to say is this, uh, now, please don't go home. I know some of you guys will be like, you know, please don't go back to your parents and say, hey, Pastor Jimmy, tell me, uh, don't be a lawyer, a doctor, a dentist, okay? That's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, the way we see things is sometimes the idea of serving others is generally real joy, okay? Mm-hmm. But the idea of all of materialism, of just only give me, give me, give me, I would actually say it's been an experiment for how long it's been with the United States since the post-war boom, right? It shows it's not such. In fact, right now, do you guys know this, a depression rate of millennials, of, of my generation, mm-hmm. is lesser or greater? Yeah. More. Even though there's more affluence mm-hmm. uh, uh, in terms of metric of things, that people own, okay? But the suicide rate, is it higher with millennials or previous generation? It's higher, okay? I bring this to say that ads lie to us. Ads lie to us. If you have this, if you only have this, you'll be happy. If only you have this, you'll be satisfied, the satisfied, smiling customer. And yet we walk away wanting more, okay? Like drinking salt water. So I want to say is this, that in our goal of life, I find that it's been true in my own life, that when it's time I'm really living to be God's favor to others, I'm actually generally more joyful. Now, I'm not doing this to say I want joy, but as a result, of, I want to love God first, I have joy in Him. I find that actually it is true. It is true what, what uh, Paul says, right? 
quoting Jesus, it is better to what? Give than to receive, okay? Could I say this? That I think is generally true. It is a, a true statement, okay? Uh, I don't want to, my purpose here is not to brag, but I think right now my wife and I, we're probably hitting, hitting 30% in terms of our giving. Okay, we don't make a lot. You guys know how much we make because it's uh, public records. You guys could find out on a denomination. If you really want, you could talk to our church account. There's no hidden record of how much we give. The reason why it's been up, uh, why I say it's about that is because of Nepal. Okay? But I would actually say this year I've actually increased my joy in the Lord. Okay? Mm. I'm just saying this experientially that it is true. Okay? It is true that showing God's favor to others is a blessing. But then we must ask ourselves, what are the characteristics? And today we're going to see, uh, I think we're going to limit to, originally I prepared four, but we're going to only look at three uh, ways from the story. Boaz displayed God's favor to others, so that we would likewise show God's favor to others, okay? To live this out. And I want to say that it is true. Jesus Christ, what He says is true. It is better to what? Give than to receive, okay? It is better to give than to receive, and to act out God's calling for us to be a blessing, to be a source of flavor, uh, not flavor, favor, to flavor people's lives with the grace of God, right? It is a source of blessing. So here are these three characteristics we'll see today from our passage. Point number one, if you're taking notes, is showing God's favor to others by greeting others, okay? You show God's favor to others by first greeting others. This is the foundation for everything else that follows, okay? This is found in verses four, okay? So point number one is what? Showing God's favor by... Greeting others. Thank you so much. Okay. That's found in verses 4 if you're taking notes. Point number 2. Point number 2. Show God's favor to others by providing for the needy. By providing for the needy. Okay. So if you're taking notes, showing God's favor to others by providing for the needy. I think this is taught in verses 8 and 9. Okay. Verses 8 and 9. Okay. Verses 8 and 9. So, point number two is showing God's favor by providing for the needy, okay? Point number three, show God's favor to others by protecting others, okay? Show God's favor to others by protecting others, okay? Show God's favor by protecting others, okay? These are the three points. In fact, next week when we look more, we're going to see some of these points repeat, but even more, even um, uh, in terms of exponentially even more of this being increased in a way that's super sacrificial. But we want to begin with this point. And even next week, even if some of these points repeat, I think it's still worth still coming to TCAC at church to hear on Sunday because what? It's repeating, it is a reminder for us that we need to really generally live this out, okay? Because some of these characteristics, you're going to see that he's not just only going to provide, but you're going to see the way he provides is extreme level of God's grace, okay? He's giving uh, extremely promiscuously a lot of grace, of God's favor, Towards Ruth, okay. So with these three points, let's uh, let's talk about the overall chapter. We're gonna see, uh, a, 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 as we mentioned last week, we're now introduced to a new character, Boaz. Last week we looked at uh, Ruth, and we saw some points with Ruth. What does it look like to sacrificially love? But now we're gonna shift emphasis, focus on the character. If you notice what we've been doing the last few weeks, we first look at uh, Naomi, the mother-in-law. She's depressed. Then we looked at that a few weeks ago, saying. What would God's word have to say for someone that's depressed? And we looked at five points of how we deal with depression. And that's very applicable. Then we looked last week to the character, focusing on the character study of Ruth. That she she has a mother-in-law that's depressed and is selfish and is self-centered at this moment because depression, sometimes we don't see things clearly. We could be sometimes self-absorbed, okay? 
I'm not saying this uh, to be mean, but there's a sense I look back in my life that's true too, my own depression. Then the second point we saw that Ruth is an example of sacrificial love. And we saw the characteristics of that. Now we're going to be focusing on the character of, uh, of Boaz. And we're going to see with these three points, it's established that, uh, remember Ruth requests in verses 2. She says to her mother-in-law, she wishes that when she goes out to the field, she hopes. And in some sense, she prays that, quote, she might go to field, quote, one in whose sight I might find favor. And now we see God answer providentially with the person of Boaz. Boaz is going to be the God's mean of showing God's favor towards her. So we see these three points we're going to see today is really Boaz is acting out. God is providing for her. is helping her, showing God's grace. But notice the means God used is a human being, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, there's no place for hyper-Calvinism. Hyper-Calvinism says, oh, no human responsibility, God just does. But the Bible says, what? It's always through human, what? Agency, okay? The means of using human agency. People that actually have a will, a real desire. That when you do something and you're happy about it, you really are real. You're not a, like, a, a, like a puppet, okay? You're, you, you know, you're, you're, you're like as if you don't exist. You really do have a will, but now God works through you, okay? So point number one is from verses four. Show God's favor to others by greeting others. Look with me again in verses four. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they say to him, May the Lord bless you. Now, in verses 4, I think in the Hebrew, or I don't think it is in the Hebrew, where uh, usually Hebrew, there's different kinds of verbs. Verbs that show sequence. If, then, therefore, this, right? Sequential. But sometimes in Hebrew, there's actual verbs that shows that, okay, let me just have a sidebar. So I think the example would be almost like, you know, sometimes when you write essays, you kind of put a parenthesis. It's like, it's not, you're not flowing the linear idea, you're just adding an offset idea to supplement what you're trying to say. Does that make sense? Because when you look at the story, the story is about how is, chapter 2 is about how God is going to use Boaz to show favor toward two, to Ruth. But then you might say, why is verse 4 there? Why is verse 4 there? Because it doesn't talk anything about Ruth. It talks about Boaz in relation to his workers, to those that he hired. And I think the purpose of this is to show that Boaz, we want to see what he truly is like. What is he truly like, even without regards to uh, Naomi, uh, correction, Ruth, okay? We want to see who he truly is. Uh, I saw a quote this week that I, now I normally don't quote things from Facebook because sometimes, by the way, we have to be careful. Sometimes people quote nice things from Facebook, but they really have really poor theology when you actually think about it, okay? Uh, it sounds nice until you really think more biblically, okay? Uh, biblically. For instance, sometimes I see quotes where people say, oh, I'm, you know, uh, it is good to forgive yourself and forgive God. And when, when you really think, oh, that sounds cute. But then when you take a step back, it's like, whoa. God who is holy, who judges all sinners, who yet by His love sent Christ to die for our guilt. Now you're going to say, you're going to set yourself up above God and say, oh, I'm going to forgive God. Like how unholy that is. God's willing to forgive you and now you're, it sounds so nice until you think about it more biblically. Okay? And also the idea of forgiving oneself. Um, we forgive ourselves. I don't, biblically, we're not like, harder than God than us uh, you know, on ourselves and God. But we have the motivation to forgive because why? He's forgiven us. Right? How much more should we uh, hold to God's standard and also apply God's grace? Okay? So here we look at this. Showing God's favor by greeting others. Here we see this is just saying this is who He is. And one of the quotes I did saw on Facebook that I thought was pretty good was it talks about reputation is what others think about us. But character is what? Is what God thinks about us. You see the difference? 
Reputation is about what others think about us. That does not necessarily correlate with who you really are. But true character is who you generally are and who does God see you truly as you are, okay? So why we look at this in verses 4 with him greeting others, his workers, is we will see really his true character. In other words, he, everything that he's going to do good is not because there's an ulterior motive. So, oh, there's Ruth. Maybe she's pretty. Maybe she's a woman. And therefore, now he's acting what? Super kind and nice and all of that, okay? This is his true characters. And by the way, as an example of application, even for sisters looking for someone to court, in terms of relationship. You always want to look at how that person is towards others, especially those that in the world's eyes are not significant. Okay? That's who they really are. And in his worst of moments, that's how he is in acting towards you. If in the worst of moments, he somehow is upset with you. Okay? The point of conversation in verses 4 here is adding information about who he truly is. Notice it says, Boaz said, quote, To the reapers may the Lord uh, be with you. Notice in verses 4, who takes initiative to greet? Boaz, okay? Uh, he, he takes the initiative to greet. By the way, it's a hierarchical society, okay? It's a hierarchical society uh, in this time period, okay? Uh, yet, though he is in a quote-unquote higher position socially, culturally, what does he do? He takes the initiative to greet his workers, his hired hands in the field, okay? He goes up to them and says, may the Lord uh, be with you. So thus he models grace and loving kindness by initiating his greeting. And by the way, he fosters what? A positive work environment, yes, okay? He takes the initiative, right? So even when one day the Lord allows you guys to be in a certain sector of your career, or not even career, just your job, but in a position of some kind of level of leadership, I hope it doesn't get to your head and say, oh, where's all my greeting? But rather, with every, biblically, every leadership is servant leadership. Say this after me. Every leadership, every leadership. Biblically, biblically, is servant leadership. Servant. That is, you have the, uh, you're in a role to be the first among servants, okay? So he establishes this, right? He takes initiative to greet him. And by the way, the way he greets is also unusual. Because in the English, when you look at uh, both the servant's greeting and also his greeting, in English it might look the same. But in Hebrew, the way he greets was a little bit strange, the wording. It's not your typical, like, uh, let me give you an example. When today, what is the typical way we greet one another in English? When you see somebody, what do you guys say? Hi, how are you doing? What else? Good morning, right? So if someone comes up to you and say, howdy, partner, you know, like, whoa, this guy, his greeting is, he's from somewhere else, okay, right? It just stands unusual. I bring this to say, his greeting is also different, okay? Usually the form of greeting in the Hebrew, the word order has been exchanged. Usually the word order in Hebrew is usually uh, verb first, then subject, okay? Like English is usually subject and verb, right? Hi, or, or uh, uh, I am Jimmy, or whatever like that, right? I is subject first, and then predicate predication, verbal, or whatever else. But here in Hebrew, it's supposed to be the greeting, uh, it's supposed to be uh, object, then verb. But he reverses that, which makes us say, oh, this unusual uh, greeting is different, so that we pay attention. And so in Hebrew, it's actually literally Yahweh with you, even though usually it's saying, bless you, Yahweh. Okay? By the way, you see the typical greeting when the servants greeted him, when his hard hands of people working in the field greeted him is, is the typical format. Of greeting. But why is this different? What's the point to make with this? Is I think when Boaz says, Hi, how are you doing? 
I think he means, or when he says here, uh, uh, the Lord be with you. I think the significance of this, what it means by that is he really meant it. Yes? He really meant it. Sometimes the way we greet people in English, we say, how are you doing? But when we say, how are you doing? We don't mean literally, how are you doing? Does that make sense? Sometimes we could say, how are you doing? And then what? Someone says, oh, well, I'm glad you asked. Man, I'm not doing so well. And you're like, oh, okay, um, uh, you know, like, okay. Well, that guy was weird. But then, why, why do we do that? So here, when he says, how are you doing? He really mean that, for instance, okay? So when he says, the Lord bless you, he really mean it. It's not just, okay, I have to do this just because everyone else say, says, right? It's like when people sneeze, right? Even the atheist says what? Bless you. But then you say, oh, interesting. I didn't know you believe in God. Like, no, I don't believe in God. It's just a way of saying, okay? It's an idiomatic saying. But here when he says it in an unusual way, I think it's a stress that he really truly believed and really want God to bless his what? The people that he's greeting here, okay? In other words, his greeting of God's favor. He's showing God's favor by greeting them and he genuinely meant it is what he's trying to do, okay? The greeters greeted back. Notice they said to him, may the Lord bless you. Like I said earlier, this greeting is pretty typical. It's based upon number 624, okay? But with a boss like Boaz, it's not surprising, surprising that there are workers who will reciprocate by giving greetings with their own words of blessing back to them, okay? Um, we are eventually going to see here, this is his first words we see, it's a greeting. But we're going to see from this point on, from what we see in verses 4, is the first time Boaz speaks in the story. But then from this point on to the end of the book, to the very end of the book, we're going to see, and even the rest of this chapter, whenever he speaks, his word is just dripping with grace. His words are overflowing with grace from beginning to the very end of chapter 4. Okay, uh, But we're going to just see the beginning of this. And it begins with a greeting. So as a way of application, should we greet others? Should we greet others, yes? So ask yourself the personal question. Do you greet others? Do you greet others at church? Okay. Uh, second application question. Some of us might say, oh, this is Old Testament. Yeah, you know, he greets others. But do we greet in the New Testament? Well, we need to internalize, realize in the New Testament, we're also called to greet one another. We're also called to greet one another. Now, I also realize when we greet others, there's a cultural dimension, okay? There's a cultural dimension. So you greet according to your cultural context, okay? Put your pinky or thumb in roof, and I want to look, show you that this is a New Testament practice we are called. Although the cultural variant will vary. I know we're going to look at a passage that might have some giggles, okay? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16.20. 1 Corinthians 16.20, okay? 1 Corinthians 16.20. When we get over there, if I could have some happy, motivated reader read it out loud in big boy or big girl voice. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 20. So this is the New Testament. Josh... Chen, read it out in big boy voice so the people in sermon audio around the world will hear you. All the brethren will greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. Yes, okay. Okay, so some words about that, okay? Uh, please don't use this as a Christian, uh, cheesy Christian pickup line, right? Like, hey sister, uh, have, you th- have you applied 1 Corinthians 16.20 recently, right? Greet a brother with a holy kiss. That's not what it is here, okay? I want to call attention to the part that is not cultural, that is called, is a universal principle, is we need to greet one another. It's actually a command. This command is more than once in the New Testament. Now, it does say greet one another, holy kiss. That's because back then, what? Men and men would also greet with what? Kiss, okay? Uh, you know, if you sometimes see like uh, a certain culture, there's greeting with what? 
kiss, right? You think of uh, Arabic culture, Mediterranean culture. Yeah. I remember when I used to uh, work security, uh, I had a manager who was Italian, right? And uh, sometimes he'll bring his family to see, and like he's like hardcore Italian, like, you know, like when his family come over, I feel like, am I watching a, like a YouTube clip of a mob movie, right? He comes over, the grandmother, hey, Mama Maria, and like, you know, like the whole kiss and everything else, and then the grandmother comes in, and it was like, oh, I'm getting a kiss too, and it was just like, it was just total, like, it was just like pretty funny, right? Like, he'll always say, I'll take care of you, but then when he says that, I feel like, well, he wrote, the way he rolls is like, he, he's going to really take care of me and make offers that I can't refuse, okay? That's how I feel. But so there's a holy kiss there, okay? But it's not sexual or anything. It's platonic, okay? By the way, the early church stopped this because there was also later on when the church got bigger in the third century, there were also what? Abuses that took place with this, okay? So it brings us, but nevertheless, we greet one another, okay? This is a New Testament way of greeting, okay? New Testament requires us to greet, okay? And ask yourself, how do you greet others? Do you greet only those that are your equal or only those above you? And then you neglect greeting those that you don't think is important. Is that true of you? No. My brother and sister, is that ought not to be? No. Right? That is, if I give, give an example, I love, by the way, our church has improved. Sometimes you have to look at five to ten year uh, metric at a time. Uh, I remember when I first came to our church, if I could be very honest, um, just being a yo-yo kid that came over here with no shirt and tie, with just like, what, sandals and, uh, what do you call that? Shorts, right? And a billabong shirt and just right, coming over here. You know, and then, you know, like, some guys like, what are you doing, right? Just being, you know, just saved and just coming to church. I was thinking in my mind before, because I read the New Testament, and you guys know my story. My parents, uh, before, wasn't really strict. I eventually got kicked out of school, and then my parents got super strict after that. And then one of the strictness was saying, you can't go to church. So I read the New Testament, and I think, oh, the church is... There's no way you could not bring an atheist and not be saved in like three weeks or so, right? That's what my imagination was. Then I came to church and realized, oh, the church is not perfect, right? Now, I think the church has improved in terms of greeting one another. I remember back in the day, I'll be like coming over and I'll be so happy, joyful with my Bible. I remember my first Bible I bought from work, right? I had this nice Bible I bought for my first paycheck was I got myself a Bible. Then another Bible for somebody else. So happy, I put it down. And I never saw that Bible again, right? Again, the church, you know, and then I remember the pastor back there said, oh, it's okay, maybe someone, we misplaced it. Maybe you misplaced it. I said, no, no, I actually put it there. Maybe you'll find it in church cleanup. Well, it's been, 2001 has been how many years? We have not been able to excavate it despite all our archaeological dig during church cleanup, right? I bring this to say is that, wow, and then I'll be greeting people, say, hi, how are you doing? People are like, oh, why are you greeting me, right? It'll be really strange, but I want to say that that's sometimes who we are. If we don't watch ourselves, sometimes we can greet to certain brothers, we greet them, and then the young people say, oh, they're little kids, oh, they're kids, we don't greet them. Or worse, visitors, we say, oh, you know, they're not part of the body. We think these weird thoughts. Sometimes we don't even see it until we catch that of other. We, we, if someone point that out because of our blind spot. Brothers and sisters, are there someone in church you've never greeted? Are there someone in church you never even say hi? And that reflects a sinful heart of being a high and mighty individual, okay? And that ought not to be. Look at this guy who in a culture would say this is okay. And here is Boaz going against the extreme, okay? We need to be a church. We need to be an individual that greet others, okay? Greet everyone, okay? Greet everyone joyfully. Greet with a smile, okay? Greet with a smile. And I remember back then, way back in the day, Pastor Andrew would tell me, you know what? You need, as a pastor, you need to work on a smile. Now, you guys know Andrew? He has a smile. But some people might say it's like almost a Cheshire cat smile, right? <laughs> Uh, then I, you know, my mom and dad used to say, 
uh, you know, like, oh, wow, he knows how to smile, but you can't. And I was like, yeah, I was right. So Andrew finally said, hey, go smile. So then I'll go to people, hi, how are you doing? And Andrew's like, hey, stop, because it looks like you have an agenda, right? Um, and he said, then he finally says, just be yourself, okay? And I said, okay, I'll just be myself, okay? But then when you generally love others, you generally, what, what, love people? And there's a sense there's a joy. Even if you're, right? Then it looks weird, right? Like, you know, with an agenda. But have a general heart of being joyful of other people, right? Work on that rather than a smile, okay? If I work on a smile and I come over to you and say, hi, you know, hi, hi, hi sister so-and-so, and they'll be like, oh, what does he want, right? <laughs> you, know, uh, then, you know, so in the same way, greet one another. Make sure we go out there to greet one another. So when it t- times for greeting one another, don't just be like what? You know, don't just be sitting there. It's like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Some, some people greet like what? And someone else does what? Even more back, right? Hey, what are you doing, right? You're back on the block or what? So we greet one another by... What? Shaking one another's hand, okay? By the way, if I could say this, because we are, we mentioned about the cultural dimension of greeting, of holy kiss in that culture, right? But we let also, since we are in a multicultural context, yes, we are, right? Even with that, there's also generation, uh, generation differentiation also as well, even with whatever ethnic background you are. I think it's also, uh, it might be good to learn what? How to say greetings in another language, Okay. How to say, aren't we so glad we live in the day and age of Google Translate, where Siri could also speak a foreign language? Like, man, it blows my mind away, right? My Siri is with an Australian accent. because I, Why? Why do I have that? Because I want my Siri to sound more intellectual than yours. But that's a joke, okay? I mean, it's to say that we live in a beautiful world where we can use things to learn. Another. So we live in, in a church. We live in a world that is multicultural, right? We're not all Chinese, okay? Yes? Uh, By the way, TCAC says Truth Chinese Alliance Church. If I had to drop one letter from there, I would drop, with no regret, the word Chinese. Because most of us are, you know, know, are not fully Chinese necessarily. But I think it would be good for us to greet one another, know the words to greet in different ways, right? How do you say, how are you? How do you greet in English? Sometimes we need to begin with the basics, Barney style. How do you greet in English? How do you greet one another? Some of us need this education. How do we greet uh, one another in English? Talk to me. What do you Why? say? Nice How are you? Okay, nice, nice to see you. You know, happy Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. God bless you, right? Yeah. Okay. So from there, then you learn, okay, how do you greet another in maybe, uh, there's a Chinese congregation? In Chinese. So this is language time, right? So what, what, how do you say in Chinese? Those guys that know how to speak Chinese, talk to me. Huh? Someone says, ni hao, right? Josh, who couldn't barely speak Chinese, is... is Speaking tongues today, okay? So, okay, so, ni hao, right? Now, you don't have to say much, but even if you're different culture, wow, think about the bridge that it gaps, right? Uh, by the way, sometimes, uh, the way I uh, learn language is, I'll be honest, I have a hard time learning language. But God just forced me to learn all these kind of language over time. And I find the best way of learning language is really immersion, right? I remember taking PCC Arabic so I could get some uh, points in Marine Corps to get a better pay, and I realized, oh man, I forced myself... Arabic, and I never be able to master it. The best way is what? Is actually immerse yourself, right? Took PCC class. After finals, I had a big headache, and I lost all my Arabic, so I had to drop the second semester, okay? But the best time I ever spoke Arabic was where? Was in Iraq, right? And Mr. Mr., you Alibaba, you know, and then all the other language, you know, throwing in broken English and everything else, right? And then you're picking up from the kids, everything else with that, okay? Uh, Sahara, you know, all the other thing, you know, Salam Alaikum, everything else, right? You learn from that. So the best way is what? Just listening and picking things up and be just curious, okay? So in Spanish, yes, why? Because we live in where? 
East LA, yes? Now East LA, what do I say? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, uh, Elmani, okay? Elmani, right? Hispanic population. How do you say in Spanish? Talk to me. Hector and uh, Judith. How do you say in Spanish? Hola. Hola. But then you also want to show respect. If there's an older folk, do you still say, ¿Cómo estás? See? Okay, yeah, so more respectful, right? If they're older crowd, right? You don't want to be like acting like a cholo kid, yo, you know, and you think you're all cool, and you're like, what is this joke, okay? What is this yo-yo, okay? So realize, just knowing those terms goes a far way, okay? Going a far way to greet one another, okay? Greet another because God has called us. By the way, sometimes people are so hard, okay? Sometimes people have hearts of stone. When you greet others, they'll never greet you back, it feels like. But can I just say this? Some people come to church, and they're always like this, right? Sometimes I go speak at different churches, and man, I think, man, I'm in the pastor, and guess me, I don't even feel invited, man. What makes you think anyone would come if they're just a, uh, a person? Where some people are just like this, but you greet them, right? Whenever you see them, I make it a point of saying, you know, let's just say that someone's difficult. Say, hey, hi, you know, reaching out, exaggerate, how, how are you doing? I, I'm so glad to see you, right? Just, just, just totally out, out there, right? Even though they're hearts of stone, but guess what? Does God use that sometimes? Yeah. By the way, stones... As hard as stones are, what in nature breaks stone over a while? Water. If a water keeps on dripping on stone, what happens over time? It's going to crack. Sometimes we evangelize, we plant seeds, but we also water it with our tears. And God uses those to crack that open. Okay. So just continuously do that. Continuously, indiscriminately, just, just with everyone, just greet one another. And do that with a genuine joy. Okay? We ought not to be that the first person to ever step to our church says, oh, I don't ever want to come back because nobody greeted me. And by the way, we're a small church. We can't afford to do that, my brothers and sisters. We need to just go out of our comfort zone at times and say, yes, I'll step out of my comfort zone. If God calls me, what my wife says, last week God has called us to even risk our lives to protect, and she even quoted 1 John 3.10, that we are to love the brethren to give our lives for others. If we can't even greet one another, what makes you think we're able to do the bigger stuff? Got to be faithful with little, faithful with much, right? So greet one another, okay? Greet one another, take an opportunity to say hi, and also really, truly, genuinely mean it, okay? So let's go on to point number two. Wow, at this point, I'm going to only have two points, okay? But we need to talk about this. We, this is a real thing. We need to be real, okay? Greeting, really, when you think about it, is the front door for our church. Yes. Your house, you guys have a nice front door? You guys make it a little nice? Yes? You want the lawn to be nice, hopefully? Why do we do that? It's to be welcoming, yes? Maybe put a little flag or whatever. But you know what? The greeting, sometimes the front door of our church is not necessarily a physical front door. It's a front door, the front lawn, so to speak, is us. Greeting one another. Greeting those that are new, okay? Greeting those that are new. What do you do when you're awkward? Because I know some people are awkward. Some of us are introvert. I know my, none of my sisters are here to argue with me right now because they sometimes do that. I used to preach here and say I'm an introvert. And then some people say, no, nah, you're not, right? No, nah, you're not an introvert. You're an extrovert. You like talking to people. Can I be honest? Uh, I think introvert is measured by where you get your strength. Where I get my strength from. In my natural state, if I'm, before I was a non-Christian, I was a loner. I'm, and when I mean loner, I mean I was very happy just with books. Walking to school, reading a history book. Walking back to school, reading another history book. Walking mil- another place, reading a military book. And just, I'm just generally happy. Like, like, 
like real smile, happy, right? Not have a nice day smile, right? But a real generous smile. So why I talk to people is because I love God and I love others. And I know in the past people say, oh, you're not an introvert, you're an extrovert. And my, pastor, my sisters who always, sometimes they're critical, they would say, no, Jimmy really is an introvert, okay? My biggest critics, my sister, which I need them and I love them, would say no, because why? They really know me. So even if you're an introvert, a way of greeting others, I think sometimes is rubber banding others, okay? Now, let me say this real quick. There's a difference between um, scapegoating others and rubber banding. What I mean is this. Let's just say you greet somebody. You know, let me look at Anthony as an example. I shake his hand. Hi, how are you doing? And then what's your major? Chemical engineers are oh, okay, that's way out of my league. But then I know a brother who majored in what? Biochem. Who's that? Who's a brother at TCAC of major biochem? From UCLA, graduate class, graduate of 2010 or something like that. Ben Chung, right? They say, oh, you're a biochem major. By, by the way, that's a good thing about knowing others. Like, hey, have you met Ben? Oh, yes, I have something in common, right? By the way, I'm not throwing him to the shark, okay? And just say, sorry, you know, I already greeted you. Ha, 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 Ben, that's all your response. I'm, I'm rubber banding to what? to now increase others to, to show hospitality. Okay? Do you see the difference? If I do that and just I run away, that's like, you know, I'm just neglecting. But now I'm introduced, and then the guy says some more things. and says, hey, what's your favorite food? He says, well, I don't know. He likes tacos. He says, oh, I like El Pastor because I'm the pastor, right? So then you say, oh, you know what? Uh, I love grabbing taco of Eric. Eric, tell me what's the best taco place. Then you're, what, moving others in, right? By the way, you're moving others, but you're not, like, leaving, Okay. Then the person says something else, he works wherever. It's like, I know somebody that works in Orange County and hangs out there. Then you bring another person in, right? Uh, so this is where you bring others, right? By the way, God has called us to take the initiative, okay? Take the initiative with this, okay? So this is where you greet others. So even as you're introvert, even as your heart, guess what? There's strength in what? Numbers, okay? There's an awkward moment you don't know what to say. Then, hey, uh, there's another brother there, okay? There's someone else. There's a sister. And by the way, that calls for us in order to do that. You must know who? One another. How sad it would be that we don't even know those in here whom we see every single week, who God says we're going to spend eternity with, who are our brothers and sisters, who we have the greatest thing in common, which is Christ, and we don't even know one another. We don't even greet one another. What makes we think we'll greet those who are difficult or those that are outside the church? So practice this now, okay? And I, by the way, I want to encourage us to, I see God working in this. Oh, man. This will only be a two-point sermon at the end, okay? Let's go to point number two. Point number two. Point number two is show God's favor to others by providing for the need, needy, okay? Show God's favor providing for the needy. Look with me in verses 8 and 9. When Boaz said to Ruth, Listen carefully, my daughters. Do not go to uh, glean... Uh, do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go from this one... Uh, but stay here with the maids. Let your eyes be on the field which you reap, and go after them. Indeed, I've commanded servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water uh, jars and drink from what the servants draw. Here we see there's many things going on, verses 8 to 9. Overall view, uh, uh, what's going on is there's a prohibition first, positive command in verses 9, then a declaration of what Boaz is, is going to do with the third party, and there's an invitation in the end of verse 9. Okay? Notice, by the way, Boaz's affection towards her. I think it's uh, a brotherly way, nothing weird. He says, listen carefully, my daughter. That is, he's going to say, hey, care. Like, whatever I'm saying is going to be important, okay? Uh, literally in the Hebrew, is actually, have you not heard? But in the NSB, they translate that already to give you the idea that he's trying to call attention to what he says is important. Notice he calls her my daughter. Has anyone else called 
Ruth, my daughter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Naomi. It's a term of endearment, okay? I also think this shows the age of Boaz, okay? The age of Boaz. He's probably a bit older than Ruth. I've never seen any movies on Ruth. I know there's movies out there. Uh, I'm just going to ask you guys for help. Do most movies show Boaz around the same age as Ruth or a little older? I'm just curious. Probably a bit older. Okay, that's faithful. Yeah, that's good. He's probably a bit older, okay? Uh, and it's not patronizing, but I think he shows a genuine sense of responsibility and care for Ruth. Notice he's going to show, he's going to be the one that acts out God's favor by providing for her needs. And therefore, we also have obligation to help those in need. Notice in verses 8, it says, Do not go to glean in another field. So he's prohibiting her to go from the, to another field. Why is that? Is it because he's controlling? Is, is that why? No, I think he's saying, don't do this. He's prohibiting her. It's really for what? So that she would go to his field and glean. Yeah, I think he's stating this indirectly, okay? But what is stated indirectly is now going to be stated very clearly and directly in verses 9. When he says in verse 9, look with me in verse 9. It says, let your eyes, you see that? Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. So he's saying, hey, stay in my field. Don't go to another field. And when you're in my field, follow after my workers who's doing all the, you know, sowing and everything else. And whatever, remember what we learned about last week, gleaning. Glean from that. Get from that. From my field itself, okay? Now, next we're going to see this grace is extraordinary. He's not just going to say this. He's going to help her out even more behind the scene, okay? But here for now, we see he definitely wants to provide for her, okay? So the command is very clear. He's now telling her, uh, stay with my field, okay? And do this. And by the way, his providing for her is not just only, oh, you have some food for later on so you don't die. He goes a little further with grace. Look at verses 9. He shows God's favor a little bit more in verses 9. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Boaz ordered Ruth to drink from the vessels that's drawn by the young men. That's explain what? Extraordinary grace. By the way, when we know the cultural background, why we study the Bible to know the cultural background is sometimes it's a puzzle piece that illuminates this. Drawing water could be a very controversial thing back then, okay? By the way, even water is still a controversial thing, right? If you guys know uh, California politics, right? right? Uh, there's a famous guy named Mulholland. Most of us think of the street. What did he do? With another guy, former mayor of L.A. named Eaton. We think of Eaton Canyon. He's really, what did they do? They went up to Owens Valley and what? Start buying land to be able to build an aqueduct to get all the water from there, okay? Um, but that could be politics even today, right? Yeah. Even when we have drought, farmers want water. You go drive up to Bakersfield, they have all these signs protesting, wishing the government will give them more water, right? Because they need it for plants to survive, which also benefit us. You can't say they're wrong, but it's also see the reality of scarce resource. Here, there's even more a cultural ph phenomenon with the issue of drinking water. Because biblically speaking, you see culturally... Who draws water for who? Do foreigners draw water for the Jews, or Jews draw water for foreigners? Mm -hmm. Turn with me to Judges, uh, correction, Joshua, chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. Today we're going to only have two points, okay? Joshua uh, 9, verses 21 to 27. Joshua, chapter 9, verses 21 to 27. Do you guys remember the story? The Gibeonites... You know, uh, God's people fought all these different enemies, right? Canaanites, Midianites, Gibeonites, flashlights, and all the other kind of lights, okay? Uh, here, the Gibeonites, they spared 
But they are to what? You see in verses 21 and 27, there's to do labor for them, including what? Verses 23, be the one who draw water for the Jews, the Hebrews, and also for their animals. Okay? For the animals. By the way, in the culture, women draw water or men draw water? Who draw for who? Turn with me to Genesis 24. Again, we, I know we sometimes have Christianized sensibility and we're westernized, but we want to see just the cultural context first so we could better appreciate what Boaz is doing. Genesis 24, 10. Do you remember here? Uh, uh, Abraham wanted his son Isaac to marry, so he sent a servant on a mission to be a what? Matchmaker, whatever you want to call it, okay? Verses 10, the servant took 10 camels, went there, and they went uh, near a well, did he draw water or did he ask a woman to draw water? He asked a woman, okay? I, I want to say this because before we judge, realize hey, sometimes there's different roles. Perhaps more uh, not what we kind of expect in the West. I remember the first time when I was in Iraq, uh, when the Iraqis were looting things like crazy, and they told us Marines, like, hey, don't shoot, just let them loot, right? Uh, and we don't have enough troops. We were, the size of Rhode Island was just only uh, 1,000 Marines and, like, uh, 100 M- army MPs so we just let them loot but I remember seeing one of the looting things is this guy had his wife and daughter and they brought a big huge table from one of the bureaucratic buildings and then he, you know she puts it on her head and he's walking greeting us walking ahead and I was like oh, that's just kind of different and the daughter has this and then he greets us we smile at him and we're like oh this is kind of weird what about the sense of masculinity I obviously have a different view of masculinity and greet us and then we later got in a vehicle drove further and we saw this person dropped it and he's getting mad at her and trying to force it on her head again. And then later on, we drove a little further. And we're still in mirror, rear mirror, seeing he's hitting her, right? That's a different culture, okay? I'm not saying it's all wrong. Well, actually, it's wrong hit with that. But I'm just, what I'm trying to say is this. We need, we need to see the cultural background mm-hmm. to understand. This is the cultural background. I'm not saying it's necessarily right. But here, you see the order is reversed. Boaz says what? You drink from the water, okay? You drink of the water that's provided by my men. It's not, he's not telling you, hey, go get your water and serve these other guys. He's saying, no, you're going to be beneficial. In other words, he's providing for even the here and now. That while he's getting food, you might say, oh, I already showed enough. He, she's going to survive now. But she go, he goes out of his way by saying, you know what? While you're here, go ahead and feel free to drink water from the jars that my servants bring. And think about the work. Maybe we appreciate this a little bit more. In order to go to the field back then, they didn't have running water everywhere. So that means in order to get water... Somewhere early in the morning, one of his young men would have to, or young woman would have to go what? To a well to draw that water and get all those water. And what do you do? And chug it along with you, okay? I was doing a hike with our church, some of the young guys, and I was telling um, our brother Jin that there's a Marine that we know. He's older than me. He's somewhat like my mentor. Uh, he was telling me that back in the day, the Marines used to guard the border. He was in what is called Joint Task Force 6. And he, would, he was the youngest guy back then. So he always chucked this like really big water jug, right, among his pack. And he always say it was so heavy and he had to carry the radio too. But then they'll say, oh, you're the youngest guy, you have to carry it. So one of the things he always do is always ask guys what? Hey, do you need to drink water? Are you running out of water? And they're always like, oh, stop it. We know you want to lighten your load, okay? Think about this. This is a guy carrying water. And now you're carrying all this water and there's this foreigner, someone else, just enjoying it. What a show of level of grace, by the way, right? That Boaz would do this. So in the same way, for us, we must also be willing to provide for the need for others, okay? 
some application from this. Today is going to be two points only, okay? Uh, some application from this. Do you give regularly to help others? Do you give regularly to bless uh, others? And why do you do it? I hope it's not to do for bragging rights or just for tax, you know, uh, write-offs. Though that's a good thing. Those are uh, a blessing to bless others. But also, you must believe what Jesus says. It is better to what? Give than receive, okay? Yeah. Vow, give, vow to give the church regularly. A few years ago, I know um, our, our, our brother Victor, he's our deacon, has been our deacon on and off for many years as we do rolling cycles. I know he said this before in the pulpit a few times. You see, one of the beauty of him, the more he finds out how our church finance work, the more he thinks it's a beautiful thing, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I do think our church, we really do give to those in need. Mm-hmm. And we also give with dignity. You might say, how do I know? I've never seen it. Well, sometimes that's the point. We also want to give with what? With dignity, yes? Yeah. With dignity. Uh, yet also consider a lifestyle of giving by tithing, okay? 10%. But also I want to encourage you guys to go above the 10%. If the Old Testament during the law is 10%, how much more should we, okay? How much should most... Uh, should we also consider setting aside funds for emergency? So my wife and I, when we put, so our lifestyle, how we live is we give, save, and spend. So we give first priority, then we. So that means my first paycheck. What do we do? Right away, we write out a check to give to the church. Then we save. We say, okay, we're going to allocate a certain amount. And by the way, saving doesn't require to be big. It's just small over time. Okay. You want to be like the turtle rather than the rabbit, right? Save all at once and then like, oh, you're so tired, you can't survive and you never give, you never save again. But just a little at it over time. And also, even when we save, we set up different kinds of saving. You know, we set one that, okay, we have a used car. Hopefully that used car will last another two years. Hopefully we pray for that, if not more, right? Uh, we save a little bit for that. Then some part we also save, uh, general fund, right? And also one of the part we save is also save to give for others. Why, why do we do that? It's because we're a small church. We might not necessarily have all the funds, right? Usually in terms of people giving, big things is often we ask people to give, and then people usually give. So we want to save for that. We want to prepare for people's rainy day. Let me say this real quick. We're not just saving for our own rainy day. We're making a point to save. Where we say, oh, you know what? When suddenly we have a burden, we want to help this brother, this sister, this family member, this individual, this uh, person, uh, non-believer, this homeless, whatever, we have a fund. Right? We say and say, okay, we already are planning intentionally to be able to help others. Okay? So I want to encourage you guys to live that kind of lifestyle. Okay? By the way, I feel uh, the gift of giving is one of those gifts that rarely people see publicly, right? Usually a gift of preaching, you tell how do you know someone has a gift of teaching? They're teaching. The gift of giving is, by the way, it doesn't require you to be rich. Okay? It doesn't require you to be rich. It requires you to be, what? Strategic thinkers, creative thinkers how to give, okay? Someone that has a heart of giving with the needy would even say, whoa, look at my credit card. I have some reward points. I'm at, I don't know, 10000 Wow, wouldn't it be so good? I really want to do this project. Build a whatever. Building a well at some place in Africa, whatever else. And be what? And do that, okay? Even with rewards. So you're thinking creatively of how to give and even using the things that you have to give, okay? So with all these things, why do we do all these things? Is because you realize God is working through you to bless others. Do you guys catch that? That God, why do we should do all these things? Showing God's favor by greeting others and also providing for others. It's actually God is working through who? Through you. We minimize that. We minimize that, okay? 
But reality is this, when we do give and when we greet others, when we help others in need, it's actually God working through us. And why do we ultimately do that? Is because what? Christ has done the same for us. You realize Christ took the initiative? Just like Boaz took the initiative to greet others, Christ took the initiative to save us, even before the beginning of time. God's love for us is so deep. Before we've done anything good, and by the way, it's in spite of anything good. Because of all the bad things we've done, He still loves us and saves us. How does that not move us to greet others? In God providing for us and saving us and taking care of our greatest need, which is to go to heaven, to be saved from hell itself, how does this not move you to say, wow, helping others in need is just but a small thing, and what a joyful thing to be able to help those in need. Do you believe that this is your purpose in life? If you believe this, I think the way you live, it will qualitatively so much more different than living a life that's about yourself. I generally believe loving the church is hard. But generally loving the church and those outside the church is the most meaningful thing that you are called to do. In fact, you'll be satisfied. There'll be genuine joy because this is what God has called you and I to do, to be. So if you're struggling with your purpose of life, if you're struggling uh, as a youth with purpose of life, you're struggling with the purpose of life when you're older, when, uh, when you're older, when you're senior, or whether or not you're going to midlife crisis, realize God has called you to the purpose of being the church. Being the church. By the way, coming to church on Sunday, something should always happen on Sunday. And you say, oh, nothing happened there. It's just another same sermon. Something should happen with you. You should go out there to greet someone, to talk to someone, to pray that you be able to serve others in some ways, okay? Yeah. There's no reason you should go to church and say nothing happened. The same old, same old. Because God has called you in this time and place to be the church, to greet others and provide for the need of others. Because Christ has done this for us. Let's close in a word of prayer.